0: God's word for us today is from the book of James. James is just a straight shooter. It's, uh, it's really a good book of the Bible to, uh, to read, to, to learn, and to let guide our faith and our life. And so we're going to do that this morning from James chapter 1, beginning at verse tw- 17, verses 17 to 27. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce The righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is God's Word. When was the last time that you did something and you were convinced that while you were doing it, you were exactly right, only later to realize you were wrong? I don't have to think back very far. For me, actually, it was yesterday, but I'm not going to tell you about that one. And then there was the one the day before that. I'm not going to tell you about that one either, but I'm going to tell you about last weekend this this was true for me i smoked brisket i did it for the for the third time uh, at, uh, since living here in Texas, and if you're listening, if you're tuning in from somewhere else in the world, smoking brisket is like, this is a Texas thing. It's a southern, but really a Texas thing. And brisket is a, is a big, huge cut of meat, 12 to 15 pounds in that arena, um, uh, from a cow. It's beef, and you put it on a smoker, and it's it low and slow for a long, 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 long time, and then it's tender and juicy, and it comes out, and it's, we love brisket here in Texas. You do it on our barbecue on a smoker. I have a, uh, I have a barrel grill with a firebox in it. And so uh, it was my third time. And uh, so I I YouTube videoed it because I'm still working on, you know, perfecting this. It's an art. It's a science. And I found the perfect YouTube. It was short enough. It wasn't long like a sermon. You know, it was nice. It was short. It was five minutes. And this guy had won all kinds of awards, and I could understand him, and he said, just do this, and th- this is how you want your wood, and this is, this is what you want your temperature of, of, the grill, of, you know, of the smoker to be, this is what your meat temperature to be. I, well, any idiot can follow those instructions. And so I did. Uh, and he promised a tender, juicy brisket, and uh, mm, it was OK. You ever feel that way about God's promises in your life, that God promises to deliver things? And, and at the end of that deal, you're kind of thinking, hmm, huh, it doesn't feel to me what God exactly said would be true. It, what, what God and his words say should be going on in my life, that, that's not going on. What, what gives? Now, there's a few reasons that can happen. And as I was thinking this, preparing this week, I thought that would be a great sermon series, I think. You know, why, why is what God says not going on in my life? There's a few different answers. Um, some of the more obvious ones re- relate to our perspective and our understanding, right? God can be keeping that promise in my life, but I don't see it. It's not in my, my tunnel vision. I'm not noticing it. So God can very well be keeping that promise. I just don't realize it. Or maybe God uh, answered a prayer in a, different, a, a bit of a different way, and I'm looking for answer A, and he gave me answer Q. And again, I'm not noticing it, so my perspective isn't bad. I'm not talking about any of those today, and James isn't either. Here's what James says. One of the reasons that God doesn't fulfill promises and, th- and things aren't working in our life the way that God wants to is that we're not following his instructions i I didn't tell you the whole story about the brisket because um, he said, according to the... I had a 12 pound brisket, and he said it should take at least twelve hours on on my smoker I'm, If Richard were doing it, it would you know it would take thirty six hours, but uh, for me, twelve mine took five and a half well i yeah. What happened is that you know, I, that my the smoker's in my backyard. It was a beautiful weekend. I got involved in house projects and other activities and honeydew do list. And so, you know, a few times the, the temperature of the smoker got to be like 370 degrees. Yeah, my guys are saying that's they're 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 going that's not good. But, like, that's twice the temperature it should have been. And it only flared in only 10, 15 minutes, and then I came over and took care of it. But a few times, the temperature flared was enough so that that brisket, uh, yeah. I, I agreed with what he said on the YouTube video. I trusted with what he said. But I didn't do what he said. All right, that's what James says now about why isn't God keeping his word in my life, right? Well, we get distracted. James 1, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Agreement without action is worthless. Has this ever happened to you? Maybe if if you're 27 years old, probably not but it's happened to me. You find yourself standing in front of the fridge with the fridge doors open going, why am I here? Right, like it, you know, you're at work, you're at the office, right? And, you're, and, you, and, and you're, this, was a, this is what your plan was. Your plan was, you know, it's mid-morning, you go, oh, my sack lunch is still in my bag. I gotta put my sack lunch in the fridge so it stays cold. And right after that thought, you know, you're kind of you're strolling. You're on your way to the fr- to get your sack lunch out of your bag, and a, and a and a friend at work, a coworker, you know, wants to tell you a story, and so they engage you in the story, and you kind of keep strolling at, to the to the fridge, and then you're talking to this coworker, and then they're done with the story, and you open the fridge, and you're standing there, you're going, "Why am I here?" Right? You're own, you're just in your own dazed little world with nothing to do because you don't know what you're supposed to do. That's what this is like. We get, we get distracted. And so we know God's word, we agree with God's word, but we forget God's word because we, we, get, we get distracted. We immediately forget, James says. So God is ready and willing to keep his promise. God has, has, has a blessing that he's ready to give to us. God's ready to act based on our faith. But we haven't acted based on our faith because we've forgotten the word and really have no faith in that word, therefore, and so God doesn't continue with the action. Uh, And and here's the worst problem. That happens, we we forget. But here's the worst problem. these, These words say it. We deceive ourselves. So not only do we forget what God's word says, but then we deceive ourselves into thinking, well, that's okay. God, he, God, this God of grace, he's, he'll, he'll give me stuff. It's fine, he'll take he'll take care of me. It's it's okay. And it's God says it's not okay. Agreement without action is worthless, and the Bible spells it out right here in James 1. That such people who consider themselves religious deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Jesus has a word for those kind of people. We read it from Mark chapter 7 today that Jesus calls those kind of people hypocrites. A hypocrite is a faker, a pretender. And so we can be religious, we can be very religious, and Jesus says, good for you, but you're just faking it. You're just pretending that your religion is worth something, and it's really not, it's really worthless because you're not doing what, what I say you should be doing. And so for people who have a heritage of, uh, in our circles, of of right doctrine, we call that confessionalism, and I'm proud to be part of a confessional church, right? Religion is no less than the right doctrine. You must have the right doctrine, the right teaching to have the right religion. However, it is much more. Religion is much more. It's not just having... So I can be thinking, I'm, I, it's all about... Religion is about being right. We're right. We're, our denomination is correct. We have the truth. We're right. It doesn't end there, folks. That's just the beginning. And God says, you're, you're deceiving yourselves if you think that's what religion is. So let me give you some examples. Your religion is worthless. If you believe and agree with what the Bible says, that Jesus came to die for the sins of everyone in the world, every nation, tribe, people, and language, every person, no matter how evil, no matter how powerful, no matter what they've done, Jesus died for everyone. You, you agree with that? You believe it? But, but there's just some people in your—you just—there's just—maybe it's a group of people, or a class of people, or an ethnic group, or people who cheer for a different team than you cheer for, or your noisy neighbors— that you just think, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if Jesus has enough love for for someone like that, and you feel superior to them in your personal bias and bigotry. Your religion is worthless. You're not you're not practicing what you say you believe. Right? You can agree and nod and say, yeah, Jesus says we should love one another. And then you and you don't control your angry words. Your religion is worthless. We can say I I I want to watch out for secular, secularism and the godless society around me. Um, the Bible says right: the, those who love the world don't love God, and so I want to be careful. The the world out there, the godlessness of society, we should watch out for that. And and I agree with that, and I nod. But then. But then you don't filter the media that you consume. And it just looks like any other godless person in society. Your, your consumption of media is no different than them. Your religion is worthless. Or we take that great confession that we have that, that God's word is truth. And the truth is what matters for, for a church. And a church that preaches and teaches the truth is what it's all about, and then define church success not by a church holding to the truth and practicing it robustly. But success in church is related to tendencies, traditions, Jesus calls them human rules. Your religion, according to James, is worthless. Worthless religion does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, God says in James chapter 1, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. God desires a righteousness in you, and that's really good news. God desires, right? God desires righteousness, and it's his righteousness for you. you your practice, and religion, what is religion? Religion is a belief system that you put into practice, right? It's something you believe. So here in James, it says your belief system and how you practice it is worthless. It doesn't say you as a person are worthless. It says your perception of what's true is worthless. And God says, I'm going to do something about that. God says, I want you to practice my righteousness, and so I'm going to give you my righteousness. And when I do, that's going to not just change your perspective, but change you as a person. Right? God just doesn't say, hey, 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 whoa, that's a bad religion. Here's a better one. Do things this way. But God, as a Savior of grace, comes to you, and he, he changes the game. And so he wants you to see, to see an image of yourself in this mirror that's, that's more accurate than your perspective is. He wants you to look in the mirror and see an image of Jesus. And that image of Jesus is reaching out to you and saying, guess what, in order to change your perspective, I'm going to change you. And there's three ways in which it says here in James chapter 1 that God does that. First of all, James 1, verse 21. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Uh, This is God's word put into practice. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Can you go back a slide, Kara, please? Okay, that, that word planted... Literally, planted means implanted or transplanted. Sorry, it's not up there. Just listen to me. Humbly accept the word planted in you, it says in James 1. The the Greek meaning of that word means transplanted. Jesus is transplanting his heart into you, and Jesus is the, the embodied word of God. So... You now have Jesus' heart. You look in the mirror like that guy talks about in James. You look in the mirror and you see Jesus and he's reaching out to you and he's giving you his own heart, his heart that loves God's word. His heart that always put God's word into practice perfectly all the time. His heart that from the inside out is washed clean and that washes yours See, now Jesus, he gives you the righteousness of God that, says, that God says he, he desires in you. Jesus gives that. That's the word planted in you which can save you. All right, now James 1, verse 18. Uh, he, God, chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. God's agreement there with action. He's not just saying, yeah, that's true. But God's putting into action what He says is true. I think there's a there's a big word in that verse. God chose. Right, they're saying God chose to give you birth, and so mm -mm, God planned for you to not just to be who you are, but to be a believer. And God wanted it to happen. And, and, he, and he put his will, his desire into practice when he gave you birth. Not, not just physical birth, but actually more than that, spiritual birth, rebirth. This verse is saying that, that God has changed you as a person. He's put his agreement into action, and now it says you're the first fruits of all he created. What are first fruits? First fruits are the culmination of a season's worth of work for a farmer, right? He plants a seed, he tends it, he nurtures it, he weeds, he waters. And then at harvest time, <clears throat> a farmer will bring that, that harvest. And in, in ancient Israel, Israelite farmers would give God the first and the best of their crops. Of, those were the first fruits, they called them, whether it's actual fruit or grain, right? God, they give to God their first fruits. So now the Bible says you're God's first fruits. It's saying that, that you are the culmination of everything that He has planned, that you are the crown of His creation, that, that God thinks more about you than He thinks about the tallest mountain, thinks more about you than He thinks about the most beautiful, elegant flower. He, he took more time and interest engineering you than, than any of the fish in the, in the sea. That you're the first fruits, it says, of all he created. Nothing is more special to God than you are. He chose to give you birth. And nothing will take his attention away from you, even for a split second. Goes on to talk about that in verse 17 of James 1. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Heavenly lights, all the sun, moon, and stars out there, right? He's the Father of them. He created them. It says He created you too, and so blessings come from them. He does not change like shifting shadows. God does not stand in front of the fridge and say, Why am I here? God does not forget to tend his firebox when he's smoking a brisket. And God does not ever forget about you. Ever. He gives you every good and perfect gift. When you forget about God, he chooses to not forget about you. When you change your opinion about what God's truth is, God never changes his opinion about how he feels about you. He loves you from eternity and back. That's the father of the heavenly lights. Right? Light is changing, right? We're we're changing now. We're getting into the fall time frame and the sun is coming up a little later every day, setting a little earlier. It's, we have more darkness. I had to go outside and adjust my landscape lighting, the automatic timer, so it would stay on later in the morning and come on earlier in the evening, right? All those changes. Here, the Bible says God doesn't, he, he's, he doesn't change like the shadows, it says. But he's perfectly faithful, perfectly faithful. Um, it, it goes on to describe that in verse 25 in James 1. It talks about the perfect law... The word law is, can be used multiple ways in the Bible. Sometimes it means the Ten Commandments. This, this is not one of those instances. It doesn't mean Ten Commandments here. It means God's a principle or a teaching. You might say religion there. That's what it means by the word law here. The perfect law or religion that gives freedom. It talks about us as this then, of not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do So your God wants your religion to be agreeing with what is right and then putting it into action where we have not done that God says I have forgiven that I've forgotten about it and I'm filling it in and he fills it in with the life and death and perfect obedience of his son Jesus Christ as Jesus gives you his heart he fills it in with like a loving heavenly father perfectly and constantly providing you with every good and perfect gift even the ones that you don't feel are good and perfect god knows are good and perfect for you he's your father and the holy spirit giving us new birth that's that's god's religion and he wants to make sure that you have it and practice it and all of it comes to you it says in james through the word through the word. We have a saying, a a term about that in our church. We call that the means of grace. Familiar with that term? The means of grace. That's us saying the method by which God brings all his grace and blessing, that that he wants you to get to know him and follow him. There's a method, there's a path, and that path is, is the means of grace, and that's the gospel in God's word and also in the sacraments. That's what it says here in James. Through the word, through the word, Jesus gives you His heart. Through the word, the Father blesses you. He's not like shifting shadows. Through the word, the Holy Spirit gives you new birth. So maybe, what do you want to pay attention to a little more in your life? I know. At the end of the day, I, I, I typically say, "I wish I had," in my mind and heart, been closer to God's word more today. I've never said at the end of the day. I, boy, I was, I was in God's word. It, was, it guided me. I agreed with it. it. It helped me do what I wanted to do. Uh, that, I'm, I'm really happy, exactly satisfied with the amount of attention and energy. I, I was attracted to God's word today. I've never, I've never said that. And I hope you don't either. I hope you're always striving for the word to be a bigger part of your day and your life. So what does a worthwhile religion look like? Talked about a worthless religion? What does a worthwhile religion look like? I want to share with you something I found uh, from a man named Robert Morgan. Some of you might be familiar with that name because he wrote the book, A Hundred Bible Verses Everyone Should Know and, and Take to Heart and Memorize. We used that book uh, here at our church about three, four years ago, and we, we skimmed it down to 40. We did the light version but we did 40 verses. Everyone should know. And, and some of you, I'm looking at you here today, memorized 40 verses during that time with us. So this is an author of a book about God's Word. He loves God's Word. And he actually wrote a different book called Worry Less, Live More. And in that book, I'm going to read a, a section that he wrote about worthwhile religion and putting, putting God's truth into practice. Okay, This is from Robert Morgan's book, Worry Less, Live More. The section is called the practice of thinking. Okay, he's, he's writing a story there. See, so he, he shares his story. I was on a flight to Toronto beside a woman whose nose was in a book. I hunkered down in the window seat with my Bible and notepad and studied through the whole flight. We didn't chat until time to land, at which point she looked over and commented about my studying the Bible. I told her I enjoyed studying the Bible very much. She told me that she was the national director of human resources for a large automotive company and that she had read her Bible in younger years. On one occasion, she said, she had been asked to give a recitation. She had several choices of material, but she had chosen a passage from the Bible, and she said it had meant a great deal to her at the time. Oh, I said, well, what passage did you read? Uh, it was from, uh, let me see, what was it, um, Fallopians? You mean Philippians? Yes, she said, Philippians. Maybe it was, is there, uh, chapter 4? Was it this passage, I asked, and then quoted Philippians 4, 4 to 9? That's that section, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be eminent to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the God of peace will be with you, it goes on to say. Okay? So he shares this with her from memory. Of course, he's Robert Morgan. He has 100 Bible verses memorized. So he shared this with her, word for word. To my surprise, she grew visibly flustered and emotional. She broke into tears and started fanning herself with her hands, saying, I don't know what's happening to me. I'm not usually like this at all. She hauled up her purse. It was the size of a small St. Bernard. And began searching for a tissue which was nowhere to be found. The tears ran down her cheeks and she mopped them up with her palms. I offered my handkerchief. I've been so busy. And so stressed, she explained, wiping her eyes, that I've been short with people recently, and I've been demanding and difficult and worried. And here you are, quoting something to me I learned long ago and had forgotten. I guess I needed to remember those words again. Robert Morgan writes, What a blessing to share Philippians 4 with her in that moment and to see the effects these simple words had on her thoughts and her feelings. She badly needed to refocus her mind on truths she had learned long ago, but which had vanished from her memory like a dissipating mist. This is me now speaking. I have a question. How would you you like to be like Robert Morgan and provide that kind of meaningful, life-changing moment to a person or to people. Wouldn't that be outstanding? Maybe you have. I have. I've sat in Starbucks and shared Scripture with people who broke down in tears and said, "That, that Jesus that you just introduced me to, I kind of knew before, but I never knew him in that way. I want to do that more. I, I'm in. The, I'm a religious professional, so I get the chance to do it a lot in a lot of different ways. But, but I want to do it more. Don't don't you? That's worthwhile religion. And I tell you what. That's what we're doing as a church. That that's why we're here every Sunday. That's why we've launched the Flugerville Happiness Project so that we can give words like Philippians 4 to people and tell them what true happiness really is. That's why we're planning to build a building. That's why we're planning a school. We're not building a building to build a building. We're building a building to change lives. We're here on on Sunday mornings to change lives. That excites me as a church, what we're up to changing lives and being to them what Robert Morgan was to this lady and I'm quoting Robert Morgan again, he said, we have to call to mind the truths we need. We have to take control of our thoughts and stop listening to ourselves and start talking to ourselves. We have to preach to ourselves, lecture ourselves, exhort ourselves. We cannot overcome anxiety unless we learn to replace worried thoughts with worthy thoughts. Thoughts that come directly from the mind of the God of peace. Not only am I glad when I can be like Robert Morgan, I'm glad when I can be like this lady. I don't have a purse the size of a St. Bernard, but I'm glad when the Word of God ministers to me and it and it's meaningful to me, and it changes my life. I hope you join me in saying to yourself right now, "I, yeah, I want to think about God and His Word more often. I want, I want thoughts of God to speak to me instead of all those other voices that are lies that surround me every day. And I tell you what, listening is hard work. Th- taking time to think these days is hard work. We are bombarded by stimuli, right? We are, we're overwhelmed with smartphone notifications screaming for our attention. It, it's no longer do we sit a, on a horse and plow a field for three hours, but we're in the car multitasking, taking calls, yeah, right? It's hard to find time to think we need thinking time and i and i want to tell you this closing thought it can be hard to think about god i know that i experienced that and i know it's hard for you but let me tell you this god says today when you're not thinking about him he's thinking about you all the time and he's just waiting God has answers in his hand and heart waiting to give to you to prayers you have not yet spoken, but you will when you think more about God. And God has blessings waiting in the storehouse of heaven, huge, gigantic bodacious big blessings that he's waiting to give to you, but you don't have the trust yet to believe in the way that he wants to do it, and you'll develop that trust as you think about him and his word, and the blessings are going to come down from heaven. And God has people that, that he knows you can, you can be close to and change their lives, and they can change years. He's got places for you to go, He's got projects for you to, to, to accomplish and that you can succeed, but you, but you don't quite see that yet because they're not looking the way that, that he looks at it. But when you think his thoughts and, and when you take the time to be in his word, you're going to have that perspective and see what he sees. That, my friends, is worthwhile religion. That is agreement put into action both by God God. And by you, amen. Let's pray. God, you've spoken again today. Uh, you do it all the time because we have your word, and we hear your heart, and we hear your plan for our lives, and we hear your love for us in your words that you've shared. We also hear warnings, warnings that you give to us because you, you desire us to produce righteousness. And sometimes we don't. Give us the humility this morning to humbly accept that word that you give to us, your word of warning, that we pay attention, that we think more about you, that we, that we gear our thoughts toward you and your righteousness, and then give us the hearts to believe what you want us to believe so that then we experience even more of the blessings you have waiting for us in this life, and look forward to celebrating eternal life with you and all believers. Thank you, God, for your word today. May it change our lives and our week. In Jesus' name, amen.